0: What's up, everyone? Uh, Mark here from Moonlight Game Devs. Back with another episode today, talking to Todd Mitchell. He's the creator himself. He published his own indie game. He also hosts a podcast and a blog called Code Write Play, and recently released, you know, his first book actually called Inside Video Game Creation, where he interviews game developers. So I hope you guys really learn a lot from this interview. Really enjoy it. It was a really nice chat with him. And uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy the episode. What's up, Todd? Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Mark. Thanks for having
0: me. How's it going? It's going very well. Just uh, finished work. It was a pretty ex- pretty exhausting day. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, we're we're right in the middle of a real busy day here today. We're doing remote kindergarten, and uh, I'm trying oh. to take care of some work stuff. So pretty good.
0: Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds like a lot of work as well. Yeah. So uh, you're the you know you're the creator of well many things around game development. So you created a game. You've recently released a book about a game, you host a podcast, you do a blog. Um, So you do a lot of really cool stuff. But um, yeah, can we just like get started with you just telling the audience a little bit about yourself, people who don't know you and then, um,
1: yeah. Sure, my name is Todd Mitchell. I am an indie developer and games journalist. You could consider me a freelance writer. Uh, I was in professional software for about 12 or 13 years before uh, my son was born, my wife and I had a child. And then I got to go indie and look after my son, meanwhile. So I uh, created Mm. an indie game about three, four years ago now. And since that time, I've been uh, working on uh, freelance journalism. I run a website called codewriteplay.com, which is all game industry, shop talk, things like that. I run a podcast called Game Dev Breakdown, which is part of the website. And just recently, I released my book, Inside Video Game Creation. Mm.
0: Yeah, interesting. Like, I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, they either start getting into software development through through gaming. Was that also kind of like what happened to you as well? Or
1: oh, for sure. When I was a little kid, uh, probably about my son's age now, probably about six years old, I got into Nintendo, started playing Mario. Uh, I was mm. hooked on it from from the very start. So games have always been around for me. Played them with the neighborhood kids growing up. And uh, as soon as I learned, you know, hey, people make these games with computers. It's a whole thing. I learned everything I could about it since that time. And I've been really glad that I've been able to pursue some very cool stuff like indie game development and uh, also, you know, connect with other game developers and write about things that they do and, uh, you know, put, put together that book. So it's, it's always been around my life. And uh, that's definitely how it started.
0: Yeah, I think that's a lot of people. And like, tell us about like how you got, got started in game development as well. Like, I know that for many people it's a different story. You started out in software development, but um, were you already making games at that point, or was it something that you you know you said that you got into indie game development like a bit later on, just when you got your son? Um, how did how did that kind of develop into like a passion of yours?
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny, right? Because we're, we're in a different age now. I'm 35 years old, just to sort of give people a, a frame of reference. So I'm part of a generation that, you know, getting into software and getting into game development is so much different for people my age than it is for like, you know, I'm sure my son will do it next year in first grade. I'm sure they'll do some kind of like, you can yeah. go to the computer lab and code and stuff. For me, you know, I read about it in like Nintendo Power back in the day and uh, found at a yard sale. I, I tell a, a brief story about this in the book's introduction where uh, from a yard sale, my family found an old Apple IIe from like 1980, what, five, six, something like that. We bought it for like 12 or $13, brought it home. And at that same yard sale, we found one of those books, like the spiral bound books full of code that you could punch in and play your own game. Well, that was my first introduction to that. So that was how I saw, you know, what game code looked like. I had to have my mom help me with it to get it in the computer correctly. But to run that code the first time and see that game and get that experience, I was I was really hooked on it. I was fascinated with that. So later on at at the end of high school, I was able to take one programming course and that was enough to convince me like I could absolutely do this for a career. I would love to do You know, just programming in general, I felt like I was okay at it. Wasn't super, super passionate about anything else at that time. So I ended up going from there to tech school, excuse me. And um, from tech school, I, you know, I live in a part of the United States where the game industry is not really present very much. We don't have any big studios in my area, anything like that. I didn't really want to pick up and relocate to the coast or anything like that. But I did have plenty of opportunities to go to local companies. We, we do have a lot of IT companies in the area. So I just kind of took off with uh, professional code, professional software. Mm. And uh, that, that turned into a career that treated me really well. So, um, I, you know, I loved that. I was grateful for that chance. But when I had a chance that, you know, I was able to go and work on games, uh, I wanted to jump on that, go for that. And there's my son in the background again. Okay. He's playing burnout in the next room. (laughs) That's funny. Um, (laughs) Sorry. uh, But uh, yeah, so the the coding career treated me really well. When I had a chance to go indie, I jumped on it. And I've been so grateful for a chance to do that since that time. And, uh, you know, it's been just as fun to write about it. So
0: that's, that's great. And like, (laughs) I think I kind of feel it, feel the same about like, what you said there is like the you know, even from when I, when I started coding and it's the same experience is like now, you know, I couldn't even take a a programming class in high school, which I would have, you know, absolutely loved to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had to teach myself a little bit of unity here and there. Unity already existed. It's not, it wasn't nearly as powerful as it is now. Uh, and like, yeah, it's crazy. It's like seeing kids these days, being able to code really soon, learning it really quickly is, is amazing right. on one hand and being able to do all these great things is amazing. But of course, you're also a little bit like worried when you're in the industry. You're like, oh, these kids are getting better than me. So, oh yeah, it's <laughs> <that's> true. <laughs> well, how did you
1: start? Was, <laughs> yeah. was, was Unity your first thing? Is that how you learned the first? It was actually how
0: I learned to code or really what got me into it. And what also made me realize like, wow, like I, you know, I never considered myself to be like someone who was like, gifted or talented or technical in any way. But I realized that like, just by really wanting to make games, I kind of realized like, oh, well, like I can actually do this because I wanting to make games made me just want to kind of power through learning to code, if that makes sense. Or at least learning it, does, it.
1: It makes total sense to me because it, it's funny in a way because we as game developers get to go, I get to do something I'm passionate about. And I feel like you hear a lot of people say that, but like who really got, into accounting through some passionate activity there are a lot of things that people are very happy doing and they're very good at it uh we need construction workers and we need you know people from all walks of life to do all these amazing things but who really gets to get started this way like we do with something so fun so exciting like i i we're we're very lucky in that regard i think
0: and just like you said it definitely opened the path to well i'm also in software development and i can't say that so far i've not been working so long but definitely not a path I regret it because like you said it's mm-hmm. you know obviously it's it's a lot of work that you know we've been very fortunate as well during the pandemic of being able to work and and enjoying like a pretty yeah. comfortable lifestyle when you know unfortunately most people didn't have that privilege. So it's yeah development we, definitely brings a lot of great great things. So
1: yeah absolutely we had more people able to adapt to quarantine and to lockdown and stuff than than a lot of other fields also. So you know Game, game development is not perfect. We all know that, but boy, we've, we've sure been lucky here lately. I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <clears throat> so I just want to talk about like a few of your different projects as well. And like the different things that you learned on your journey, um, you already hinted at like code, write, play your blog. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. listening to the podcast been reading a lot of your articles. Uh, so like, how did you get into like starting that blog and what was the kind of motivation there?
1: Yeah, it's a fair question. So, um, Shortly after I worked on my my indie game, which was educational and focused on kids, uh, I was kind of trying to determine, like, what else can I do? I'm trying to earn some revenue from home. I'm trying to, you know, get a little bit of a new career started. So uh, mm-hmm. around that time, I noticed that an editor on Twitter who worked at a website called Zam which had a, a long gaming history. It used to be like a World of Warcraft thing, and it went, turned, on, turned into different things. They wanted to go much wider. Think like Kotaku or IGN. And uh, they said, hey, we're hiring new freelancers. <clears throat> I've always enjoyed writing. I've always been passionate about that. I've, I've worked on sort of geek culture blogs and stuff with friends in the past just for fun. So I thought, you know, it's, it might not be so crazy. Maybe I could also do some freelance writing. So mm-hmm. I submitted some writing samples to them. They brought me on. They they allowed me to freelance for them. And I got to write several really cool things that I was very pleased with. But I thought, if I'm going to do that, I need a way to kind of promote myself in the meantime to, you know, point people who want to see my writing, keep up with the stuff I do around the web. So I grabbed a domain and I, thought, I, I called it Code write Play because they were just three things i did you know there're three things i liked yeah. to do liked coding liked writing liked playing games you know that was all very interesting to me so i grabbed that website and it was really just kind of going to be um sort of a portfolio blog type thing and uh after a while i had i'd been a podcaster in the past i thought it'd be fun to do like a companion podcast talk about what i'm doing each week let people keep up with me that way so even though the freelancing kind of trailed off a little bit I kept the website going. I kept the podcast going and those things kind of really took off and uh, started a life of their own. So I've, I've worked on that ever since the website is probably five years old now. Uh, the podcast is probably three years going on four maybe. Mm. Uh, and, and I love it. I, I want to keep doing those things forever.
0: Yeah. I've, I've really had like a similar experience maybe with like a different motivation, kind of like audience building, you know, working on <laughs> like collaborating with people people. Like, like you said, like work writing for other people. I've considered that as well. Like I'm sure you, you're aware of like back building, building things like this to mm-hmm. kind of get more traffic to your website as well. Like working with other people, just building a reputation, like an audience um, and like a name for yourself, which is important as an indie dev. I feel like these days where it's
1: funny. I kind of got lucky on my way into this because while I was trying to work my way up to like good coding jobs when I was a professional, one of the places I worked at was a startup that got bought by Network Solutions, which is a major domain registrar. They do hosting and search engine optimization, all kinds of stuff. I worked with them for like three years and accidentally got very well trained on search engine optimization. (laughs) I did it for clients all the time. I had like 40, 45 clients at a time who would call me up you know, we need to get on page one for running shoes or whatever. Like I want my website to show up above Nike. You know, mm. uh, just very funny stuff. And and it was just a series of adventures. And I, the whole time I was there, I thought this is nothing to do with coding. I would help optimize website code. So it was a little bit like I'd go through HTML and stuff. Like we need to get these tables out. And, uh, mm. Search engines can't crawl through this. It was a whole complicated thing. But I, at the time I was irritated by it. But now I'm so grateful for that time I spent because I learned a lot about what it takes to help market yourself, yeah. help help you be visible on Google and stuff like that. So that turned out to be very important. And uh, now people see that as kind of a gap, like a lot of people don't know how to do it. So I got really lucky that I picked that up along the way.
0: Honestly, that is so valuable because like like you said, I, I did the same thing. I, I researched um. Well, I needed to do, it. I didn't get the opportunity to do it at my job, but I realized sure. that stuff really important and like marketing, you know, how did I did some SEO as well, like research into it. And I realized, you know, as a developer, I mean, maybe you had this experience as well when doing like SEO, you often feel like you want to prioritize like the technical aspects of it when really yeah. they're not as po- important as the content aspects, if you know what I mean. Like the kind of like trying to optimize the page or whatever that's not really as important as like actually making sure the stuff people see on your website is, is actually interesting engaging you know and you really only learn that by like you said like having the experience with a client maybe or just working on it all day because <laughs> it's just it's a funny stuff.
1: Right, I don't think of mentioning that as often as I probably should. Like when I'm making content, writing articles, doing uh, podcasts, we've <clears throat> we've done a series of podcasts about promoting your indie game, marketing yourself, promoting yourself as a you know freelancer, things like that. Uh, one good takeaway for anybody listening is if you haven't, take just a day or two to read up all you can about search engine optimization, the basics of how it works. And that will treat you very well for the rest of your career, no question about it. And it is it is content more than it's technical stuff. You're totally right.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, like, I, let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, your game. You already hinted at it. Um, mm-hmm. Letter tabs. I hope I said that correctly. Um, mm-hmm. iOS and, and mob, like, a mobile game. Um, someone, yeah. one of my listeners complained that I do too many mobile developers, but... <laughs> uh, I definitely, I personally prefer mobile as well a little bit, but yeah. Tell us about like how that, how that uh, you were inspired by the, you know, the game, how you got the game idea, and that kind of stuff. Like,
1: really, yeah. On the mobile front, if it helps, uh, I've also done some contracting with a local AR and VR studio here in St. Louis, and so okay. I can I can sort of speak to that also. If it if it helps my street cred a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> I I get it. Like I I have the same listeners. So I totally, I understand that. And I sympathize. It's, it gets to be a a little bit much after a while, but the story there is when my son was born, I was trying to figure out, like I had other ideas. I wanted to make games for grownups. Needless to say, you know, I'm, I'm a gamer. I want to make games. I'd like to play of course. So, but during that first year, I don't know if anyone out there has ever tried to develop a game while taking care of a baby like a newborn baby, (laughs) it is as difficult as you're guessing. So um, we came to a point where just out of like frustration with my other projects, you know, I'm I'm always holding the kid. And I loved spending the time with him and I I don't regret a thing, but like, I also wanted to sort of give him fun little things to do. And I would like pull out mobile games and play them while we were goofing around on the couch and stuff. And I noticed that like he could pick out actions on the screen way earlier than I would have expected. I mean, we're talking like coming up on one year old. He can figure out like how to press a button on the screen. And wow. I was blown away by that. And I thought if he can do that, that alone is enough that I could make something to teach him, you know, anything I wanted really. So what I tried one day was I put this quick prototype together using the Love 2D framework, which I still love. I'm, I'm a big fan of that because uh, I, I like Lewis scripting and it just made everything very simple um, so I, I made this little prototype, which was just like a blue background, which was supposed to be the sky. And uh, I made a picture of a cloud that would like pop up on the screen, but it was a button and it had an alphabet letter on it. So when he pressed this alphabet button, it was like, let's say it's the letter a, uh, my voice, I recorded these, these sounds with my wife. We recorded ourselves saying like the, the alphabet numbers one through 10 uh, actually 25, I think. And, and so on. And they would, a kid could press the button and hear a, and then the letter B would pop up. So, and he loved it. Like that was all he needed. He was thrilled by this. And using that technique, I was able to go through the entire lowercase alphabet, uppercase alphabet numbers, one through 25, uh, all in these different levels that had animations and things going on in the background and stuff. I composed music for it myself. Uh, I'm a little bit of a musician from back in the day. And he learned from that exceedingly well. And as an adult, you think, like, that sounds boring. Of course, it's boring for us adults. But, like, kids love repetition. That's a big difference between kids and adults. We don't want repetition. We want new exciting things every time we play a game. Kids are the exact opposite. They they insist on repeating things the same way over and over again, day after day. It's why everybody hates the movie Frozen. It's why, you know, <laughs> Disney movies drive everybody nuts because their kids want to do it over and over and over again. Well, yeah, we can use that. Right. We can use that to our advantage to teach kids stuff. And um, I threw one, uh, two additional levels on the game. One was kind of a quiz where, you know, I don't call it a quiz, but I, I would I'd put up different letters and go hit the, the letter B, find the letter C, find the number 15. And I discovered that kids were able to learn with this very, very effectively. So it didn't make a killing. We didn't take over, you know, Daniel Tiger's space in the App Store or anything like that. <laughs> but it, it performed very well. Parents were happy with it. The kids loved it. So it was very satisfying to me. I was super excited to have my first commercial game out. And uh, from, from there, it's just, you know, I've, I've wanted to do more game projects. But by this time, you know, I got the website, the podcast, one game to support and everything. And uh, I'm, I'm looking to get um, back into it soon. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. like I mean, I can totally relate to that situation where like me as well, I, I love doing the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably one of my favorite things to do, just talk to cool people, network. I mean, it's a really great thing about a podcast is also like the secret thing, the secret advantage, I guess, about podcasting is you just get to like interview people. You get to, on one hand, like exchange with them, kind of give them the, you know, benefit of it's just a little bit of exposure they get a backlink maybe for their project or whatever get like people to to look at it as well but you also get that connection and like finding out more information about a topic you're really interested in there's so many reasons why i love podcasting and it, of course it calls it takes away from the time i have to make a game for example right it just, yeah it's 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 always a trade-off i think especially like even stuff like posting on twitter every day which people recommend <laughs> in the indie game community is really hard at least for me like I do not know what to post every day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, there are many days my podcast account sits quietly and, uh, you know, people notice. I get it, but I'm just like you. It's like it's it's all time. Eventually, you only have so many minutes during the day. And this is really one of the only downsides of the podcast, because I feel like it's it's a rare situation where everybody wins. The guests get something from it. The listeners enjoy hearing from the guests. You know, you get to fill some content. Like I, I think it's a fantastic activity. I'm very sorry for all the podcasters who are discouraged because they don't feel like their show has taken off well enough. Like it is a, Mm -hmm. it's a marathon, not a sprint is, is the best way I can describe it. Like it takes a long time, but if there are other podcasters listening, because I feel like usually they, they do listen to the different shows and stuff, but um, oh, yeah. keep in mind people do listen even if they're not reaching out. It's not a you'll you'll have to tell me if you have a different experience, but I find that it's not a super high feedback activity, even when the numbers are up. When I get like good listens, good downloads, I know people are rating and reviewing it and stuff. Like the average episode, nobody says a word. But if I don't record the next week, somebody will go, oh, hey, I noticed you didn't do a show, you know, so they're out there and enjoying it. You just have to be very comfortable and very confident that it's going out there like it is usually doing well. It just doesn't always feel like it.
0: I mean, yeah, I have I've had that exact same experience. Like, I think the most important thing is like when it comes to podcasting is just do some like speak, speak about something that you could just speak about naturally, like just make it, you know, speak to people that you would naturally just find very interesting and you feel like if you met them somewhere like that's why i i love doing indie game development podcasts if i I met someone just like in a group like at a party at just a social gathering and i found out they're making an indie game like i want to know everything that they're doing you know what i mean i would just naturally do it and you know i feel like if you if you then just uh, add a microphone like then it's something you could just share with people and um, i feel like a lot of people just get enjoy that and they get you know hopefully useful information or entertainment out of it so that's like how I like to think about it.
1: Right. I think that's exactly the key. Uh, you have to set it up in such a way that it's something fun that you enjoy doing. I mean, almost anything that you set up, there are going to be days you don't feel like doing it, whether it's you know exercise or playing a sport that you enjoy or anything. Some days you're not going to feel like it, but if you set up podcasting like you know, this is really just a call with a new friend or an old friend, you know, maybe a co-host or something. It's a way for you to connect with people. It's good for you. It's good for the other people. And, uh, I I think you're exactly right. Like if, if it's something that you can look at, like I would want to be doing this anyway, whether the microphone was there or not, uh, then, then it's a winner. Like if, if it's, if you're forcing it and it's about something you're not passionate about, like, of course it's going to feel bad and it's probably not going to work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And like, that's a great tangent back to indie game development, which is like mm-hmm. when you were building your game, Um, you know, how did, I'm sure that there were probably some challenges or moments where you felt like maybe a little bit less motivated to work on it or felt like some pressure to work on it. You know, how did you maybe power through those moments? Like I feel like most pretty much all game developers go through it. And if you, if you didn't, then I'd also love to know like how you, how you prevented that, I guess. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. And and this is sort of a topic that's like so present in my life all the time that it's, it's really heavily represented in the book. Like I, the book is like Q and A interviews with 12 people in the game industry at all different points, like indie professional and everything. And something I asked everybody was like, you know, you know, Mm. gauge your, your passion for me, explain how you stay motivated, especially those Indies, you know, Indies don't have a boss breathing down their neck. They don't necessarily have dates they have to meet. Some are working with publishers. That's a whole different thing. But uh, the motivation topic is just really interesting because before I was a parent and and before I was even married, when I was just doing this stuff for fun on my own, I never got anywhere close to releasing a game which is kind of strange if you think about it. Like I was, I was still passionate about it. I still wanted to like really have a go at this. Like I would have loved to be an indie developer much sooner in my life than I was, but Mm. it wasn't for me. It wasn't until I was taking time away from my family. And, and of course I was still present and trying to keep things going around the house and support the people around me and everything. But, um, I realized how precious my time was and and that made a big difference for me. Um, Long after the project stopped being like super fun and super exciting, like consider the last, I don't know, quarter, maybe the last fifth of your your game project where you're dealing with stuff like exporting to the hardware and testing on, you know, your iPhone or your Android phone. You're doing those submissions and dealing with all those errors you get back from the app stores and stuff. Uh, That stops being fun and exciting. You know the finish line is close, and that's a big deal. But also... You're dealing with very technical stuff you're trying to fix things that aren't your fault. in my case, um, like I said, I love the love 2d framework, but it would have been a lot smarter for me to do that in unity because I'm a unity guy but I, I was like, oh I want to code I want to have my hands under the hood you know I want to mm. uh, really do this from from scratch you know I feel like most coders eventually go like I want to do this from scratch myself. Um, I think that was a mistake honestly. <laughs> um, unity would have made the end of my project much easier. And so instead I'm dealing with like memory leaks on the iPhone and stuff. I yeah. have no idea what to do about that. The guy who wrote the, the library wrapper that it's hard to even explain, but like I had a memory leak in my game that was an absolute showstopper. I had to figure out what to do about that. That wasn't fun, but I had to realize like this is time I'm not, you know, jingling a toy in front of my baby. This is time that I'm not sitting with my wife and talking to her about how her job is going, that she works so hard at so we can do all this. Uh, it, it, It becomes an issue of motivation. And that's not to say everybody has to have a family to do this. Of course not. But you have to be able to have very clearly in your mind set out why you're doing what you're doing, Um, I feel like compartmentalizing your tasks is a very big deal. So if you can really break down exactly the single thing you need to focus on right now, and you can make them small, bit by bit by bit, you will definitely get across the finish line. It's just you have to remind yourself, you know, I don't want to be somebody who's not officially a published game developer anymore. I did this recently with the book, too. Like, I, I always wanted to be an author. I always wanted to have a book out i 'm tired of not being an author you have to be tired of not being done yet I think it's it's all mindset and it's all just day after day like what's gonna get me to the finish line I know it sounds very generic but it's it's absolutely true like you have to really get yourself in that mind frame that I'm just I'm sick of not being done yet
0: yeah is so that what you kind of meant in your like written article that you wrote about like the game development workflow I'm just kind of like being, you know, focused and having that focus as well? Are you like a to-do list guy who, who writes down the night before what he needs to do the next day? I found that <laughs> to, pretty, to be pretty yeah, good.
1: Yeah, to some to some degree I am. I think it's probably a product of being a professional software developer on Teams and stuff for, for many years. But uh, I'm a big task board guy like Trello or, um, you know, any of those types of, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be Trello, but it can be sticky notes on your wall, anything, anything that will let you break down your tasks. And again, that's for me, even though I'm just a solo developer now, that really helps me focus on the one thing I need to do because my mind will wander. I'll think like I've got, um, you know, automation issues, or I need to write some tests for this. I need to check out this, you know, I need to look at the next unity update and decide whether I should upgrade or not. Um, But no, right now I need to fix this one bug. And I I think, I think that's important. So I'm big on to-do lists. I'm big on uh, task boards in my, in my stuff. I, I love that Git just added uh, project boards you can, you can use. So between that and, yeah, between that and Trello, I'm, I'm a big advocate for that stuff. Um, you know, if, if you want to get, like, really into it, you can read about the uh, Kanban technique. Um, that's, that's a productivity thing. There are books out about that and stuff. I don't think it has to be that complicated. Just have no. those, you know, to-do in progress and done columns and move stuff back and forth. I'm a big fan of that.
0: I am, too. I am, too. I think it's a great way. I feel like it's also good. I, I read about a technique for... That a YouTuber I like shared. He talked about like the that he's got like two personas. He's got the the employee and the entrepreneur. So during the day (laughs) he's the he's the employee. He's got his tasks that needs to be done. Like and if the employee has like some idea, some like thing dangling in front of his head, you know, something that he wants to do or a cool idea he wants to try, he you know he can only write it down. Because at night, you know, the entrepreneur or his boss comes and he looks at what the employee has done and he writes on the tasks he needs to do. So it's kind of like a golem kind of thing, approach to that (laughs) same thing. (laughs) I thought it was really cool. Um, But I feel like it's kind of like another approach. Like there's so many approaches to kind of... um, getting in the flow and getting really focused on, on getting the right things done. So I feel like that kind of stuff I could talk about for hours as well. I think it's, I know,
1: right. Like in the corporate environment, that's what they call like the different hats, put on your project manager hat and put on your QA hat. It sounds funny, but to some degree I I get the value of that. Yeah. I totally get it.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, and I think for any developer, when you're like, like you said, you're trying to, you know, reach some big goal. That's, that's not going to be like in your reach for the, presumably even months or even years, then you really do need to to break it down and, and make sure you're constantly working towards it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's been a big goal of my podcast, honestly, um, because I do a lot of episodes where I interview people. And because, I mean, I, I always want to bring knowledge from someone else who's smarter and better than me at something to my audience. Because, I mean, who am I at the end of the day? But uh, if I, I always think, like, if there's anything I can offer, yeah, I was on professional teams for a long time where I was again with smarter and more professional people. And, um, all, all the time I think of lessons that like, you know, when I was on a team and we really worked well, here's how we did, you know, task analysis, or here's how we like managed our time planned for the future. So when I'm, when I'm not interviewing somebody, I do a lot of episodes where I try to break down those lessons that I, I sort of took away from that that environment. I, I think I think people get a lot out of that. And it's, it's definitely something I like to hear about also.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm doing it the same way. I mean, uh, yeah, pretty much like this is the same situation, I guess, because yeah, especially when it comes to like, I'm in no way to, no, no position really to teach anyone about game development because <laughs> I'm just learning as well. I think is another benefit, right? It's like you speak to people, you get to ask the questions you would love to ask anyway, because you're just trying to learn like a benefit of podcasting.
1: That's the, that's one of the best parts, right? Like I was listening to Judd Apatow talk about comedy. So, I mean, it had nothing to do with game development, but he said almost the same thing. He said, when he was first starting out, he interviewed and he I think he said he was in high school still, but in New York city, he interviewed every comedian who would speak to him. And Through that process, first of all, he wrote, he ended up getting to write a book that way full of very famous comedians when he was still a kid. But then he also, of course, absorbed those lessons himself and then became a very famous, you know, comedian and writer and movie director and stuff and and did very well. So I think I think that kind of transcends game development and goes into just, uh, you know, a great way to go through life. Be curious and ask people questions about things that you want to learn and just take that info and run with it.
0: Is that also what kind of inspired your book? Because, uh, you know, you you interviewed, like, I think it was 12 developers, 12 mm-hmm. experts in the, in the games industry. You've also got, like, a lot of experience just interviewing people in general because of your podcast as soon as well. And, um, like, yeah, like, I would love to know, like, how, you know, how do you get into those positions of, like, connecting with game developers, learning from them? Like, what is your kind of approach there? Because I have mine, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <love> <laughs>
1: It's so wild, right? Because I mean, we started these things from from absolutely nothing. We just went, you know, I'd like to do I'd like to talk about games or I'd like to present things about games to other people. Uh, I came up as soon as I was old enough to new to know that this kind of thing existed. I was reading books from like uh, Masters of Doom was a really good one where, you know, authors will go super deep with studios for years And it's something incredible that I don't know if I'll ever get to do, but um, Blake J. Harris is another one. When he wrote Console Wars and spent years working on that, there's so many good authors who have just sort of captured these super deep stories that go on at studios and in the industry in general. And I thought, I love reading this stuff so much. Maybe I could, you know, add something to that same bookshelf. And at, at this time, like, we were probably... A, a few months into the, uh, the pandemic and I had been doing the podcast for years already. <clears throat> and I, I had captured a set of interviews that I thought these, these are standouts for me all for different reasons, but they, they all capture things that I'm worried people missed to some degree. I mean, podcasts have have good listenerships and in, in this uh, focus area of, of game development. But I thought I would love to sort of circle back with some of these developers I would love to maybe transcribe some of this stuff. And, and I mean, that's what it is. I, I never tried to hide that at all or anything, but these are transcriptions and edits of interviews I did for the podcast, um, in all but one circumstance. There was one chapter where it was just brand new, had never been released anywhere. But, um, so I, I transcribed what 70, 80,000 words of interviews, and I got very good at that. I learned all about transcription, believe me. Um, but I, I edited these things down and then went back to these developers and said, like, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to look this over, clarify anything that needs to be clarified. Uh, in several cases, some very prominent developers um, added to what we had already talked about, which was fantastic. David Fox was such a good sport and he was probably the most well-known person in the book. He'd worked on, you know, Maniac Mansion, Thimbleweed Park, all this stuff. He goes way back, he's seen it all. And he was probably the one who who went the furthest out of his way to go, I love this, I read this, I've got thoughts on this. He added a short bit for the end of the, the thing. So uh, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. I thought, you know, I can turn this into something that can expand the reach of these people. These people who spent their time and, and were so generous with me and so kind to me, like I would love to push that out to even more people. And so far it's worked. I mean, it, the book is doing fairly well. Um, <clears throat> new new people are discovering stories that I I found fascinating. The, the book is not interesting because of me in the slightest. It's all because of these awesome people who took their time to tell their stories about going through the game industry, uh, you know, starting in their basements or starting – uh, in some cases, leaving college and going straight to places like, uh, you know, Gearbox and stuff like that. Um, so everybody had a fantastic story for a totally different reason. So once once I had the idea, I kind of couldn't get it out of my head. So uh, I was lucky to have the time. I was lucky that, you know, nobody was lucky that the pandemic was here. But I was lucky that I was already in a position that I had a pretty good, uh, you know, office set up. I've got things worked out here at home. Like I was going to be here either way. And so I was able to use some of that time to really polish that up, put it all together. Um, <clears throat> again, I couldn't have done it without the uh, cooperation of 12 different people. And in fact, one person, I I transcribed their whole chapter and he got back to me at the last minute and said, I want nothing to do with this book. That's something I haven't talked about very much, but that's a little behind the scenes for you. Like one person, I, I went... Hey, I didn't hear from you earlier. I've got your chapter done. I'd love to like give you plugs or, you know, let the audience know where to find you or whatever. He goes, I don't work at that studio anymore. I want oh, nothing to do with this. Right, right. So I, I had to respect that. I, I guess I didn't have to, <laughs> but yeah, out, out yeah. of respect for that person, cool. I said, okay, I'll, I'll pull it and I won't put it in the book. But like, that yeah. was like 9,000 words of the book gone in, in instant. and I found somebody else who wanted to take part in it. It was a giant process. Um, People do stuff like this, and they go, like, if I had known it was going to be this hard, I would not have done it. I don't feel that way. I may do another one of these next year. I have no idea. (laughs) It was a lot of fun.
0: That's great. Like, well, like, I mean, a lot of the people listening probably know more or less or about to find out how hard it is to make a game, but like, how long did it take you to kind of make a a book and like, can you give us like a a guesstimate of like the amount of hours you put into it? I'd be really curious to know.
1: Yeah. You know, what's funny is um, my indie game and my book took very similar amounts of time. So when I, when I went from prototype to like fully fleshed game for my indie game that I shot for like four months and probably took about seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And that was very close to how the book ended up. Also the book probably ultimately took about, Seven, seven months, maybe just over the eight month mark um, and doing it by my doing it by myself probably saved some time. If I had shopped around to try to get a publisher interested, see what's funny is you, you talked about, you know, having connections through the podcast. By the time I was ready to publish my own book, I was regularly talking to Simon and Shuster. Uh, Addison Wesley, like a number of really big publishers, who might have been willing to think about this book because uh, we we talked about Jason Schreier earlier and his very successful books. I mean, the industry understands uh, that that game development books do have a place in the market. People are very receptive to them. Um, I could have maybe worked something out, but I thought, hmm. you know, I'm indie in games. Let's be indie in authorship. So uh, right when I was done. I spent an extra week or two in publishing and I was able to seal the deal and be done with it. So uh, really positive experience overall. And it's, it's not done. I'm still talking to people about the book and um, there's like one, we may get to do one or two more related products. I can't exactly say what's going on, but I may, I may get to announce something here soon about the book. So it's, it's been very exciting. Exciting. Yeah. Really exciting.
0: So uh, yeah, like you, you said that, you know, you, you're doing, you did all this stuff and like, so I would love to know like, what's, what's next for you? Are, you? are you gonna continue down the indie game developer route, the offer route? Like, is there something that you're kind of planning for the, for the not too distant future as well? Or?
1: I mean, I'm so lucky to get to do what I do and I'm, I'm so grateful for it every day. And I, I get to live my life in such a way that I sort of finish something like this. And I think like, what would I just like to do next? Um, I'm, I'm definitely, yeah. I mentioned earlier, I do some contract, uh, AR and VR work occasionally. I'm probably going to pick up some more of that here soon. I've been in talks mm-hmm. with that studio. Uh, the guy who runs it is a friend of mine now. And, uh, so I, I may be doing that to sort of pull in a little bit of steady income and help out around here. But, um, also, you know, I would like to check that box and make a game for grown-ups at some point. I've got several ideas of things that, uh, I would love to, to, to do that i i don't know of any games like them so um that that may be something i try uh there are some other writing projects i'm interested in i would love to write something sort of uh less serious would be a lot of fun to sort of do something maybe comedy themed or uh you know just just to make things interesting some kind of fictional project so i'm kind of bouncing between those ideas of maybe a, a grown-up game uh, some kind of book that's more along the lines of just, you know, have fun reading this and, and, you know, you don't have to take away too many life lessons, but just have a good time. So uh, I, I was still considering that. So it's probably going to be one of those.
0: Interesting. Like one, one thing that would really interest me that I thought was kind of, I noticed that and, and I thought like a kind of a light bulb went on my head is when you said like that, when you showed your, your son, the prototype where you were, your it was with your and your wife's voices of mm-hmm. saying the letters. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like this AI that can come, that can emulate voices. So yeah. Say, it's like an wild. App. Yeah. Creating like an, an app that, um, can don't do it, but use the parents' voices. This would be, I think really, really cool idea as well. Just to realize it because it, it could be that that would, I was actually like what made the kid like led to the, led would lead to like even higher enjoyment of the kids of the game. If it, that makes sense.
1: It's true. And, and, uh, I don't think I had heard of anything like this when I finished that game. The first time I had seen one of these that really blew my mind was only a few weeks ago. Somebody, um, something else, when you, when you get into podcasting and website stuff, you start to hear from PR people. I don't know if you have too many PR people who hound you about stuff yet, but it's, it's coming if they don't. (laughs) Um, but one of my regular PR contacts sent me an email like, Hey, would you be interested in talking to this guy who made this software suite for game developers, where he'll like sell you basically time—it's rendering time. So if you want to do like twenty minutes worth of voiceover from these AI voices, it yeah, costs you know X amount of dollars, and it's pretty cheap. Like it was—it seemed pretty affordable. And I went through some of the demos, and they blew my mind. I could not believe that that was generated by this software. So we are yeah. definitely at a point where you can do. We're just about to the point where you can do v- VO where I would have no idea that a real person hadn't recorded it. So Yeah, it's yeah, really close. Yeah, it's I, incredible. You say that and it kind of makes me wonder, like, I, I don't know how much setup there would be to do like a new voice for something like that. I bet it takes a lot of work. But, it, uh, you know, if you were able to sort of harness that technology and and do uh, game projects with it, it would just be incredible and i'm i'm sure the first big head turner projects are very very near on the horizon for for stuff like that and uh i hope people use it responsibly because that is powerful stuff
0: it is have you heard of have you heard of descript to add your podcast it lets you edit your podcast with ai and you can also it, it does that it lets you emulate your voice and you can write out some text and it says the voice it inserts no, into haven't. your podcast it's crazy man it's crazy oh, stuff man. and it works pretty quickly. Um, so you That's could tempting. like, yeah, it's tempting. And, it, and it, I think we are already almost there. Like you said, like we're going to maybe have people's voices in game. And um, I had an idea as well where you could do that, like with, uh, you could translate a person's to a voice, like to another language. And they, like their character says it in the other language when you're in like Arma or whatever, like yeah. some kind of like that game. That kind of stuff, I think, is going to be in the future, in our future as well. It's really That's a
1: smart use case for that, is to you know have those on-the-fly translations based on circumstances in the game. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think like a lot of this stuff, there's exciting times in terms of game technology, for sure.
1: We're going to have to deal with competing podcasts where the host isn't even real. You think so? Isn't that strange? <laughs>
0: like, that, Maybe that, yeah, I'm already a, what if I'm just an AI
1: podcaster right now speaking to you? <laughs> To <laughs> <So join> that, <laughs> me, And that would be a great story for the future. Like I went on this podcast, found out the guy wasn't even real. <laughs>
0: yeah, that would be, that would be incredible.
1: I'm, I feel <laughs> like
0: people are exp- probably experimenting that. I've heard of a AI journalists who send out interview questions to people. I've heard, I've, I was, I heard a podcast where the guy said he was doing that. Like he did a little bit of personal intervention, but mainly the AI was interviewing people with like emails
1: what a time, what a time we live in.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely yeah. crazy. Funny. Um, yeah. It was one more question uh, that I had earlier, um, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I, I forgot what it was. Sorry about that. Um, no, totally. It's been it's been really cool um, learning a lot about your kind of current projects, all the stuff that I've learned from you, all the things that like experiences we shared as well with podcasting and such. Yeah. Um, so, um, like, is there any, like, I guess closing statements that you would like to just like knowledge that you would like to wrap up with about, you know, building your game that you might want to pass on to anyone who's maybe not built a commercial game yet, like things that you feel like you there is like the most important thing to focus on, I guess.
1: My, uh, my number one piece of advice for people is that, uh, you should not let fear keep you from doing anything, uh. And that that goes mainly for people who haven't started yet. People come to me all the time going like, I would love to learn game development or my son or daughter would love to learn game development. We don't know where to start. I'm having them read all these books and stuff. And I love books. I love books about code and development and every every sort of thing you can imagine. But if it's keeping you from starting, instead, put it down, dive in, you will learn as you go. Like I really encourage people to get their hands dirty with stuff if that applies to you and you're in between phases of your project, you, you know, you have a new thing that you haven't done yet before you, you know, maybe you need to compose some music for your game and you haven't tried that before. Get started. That's the best thing you can do. We, in the end, we almost all learn this as we go. Nobody just reads 10, 20 books and then they, they have all the know-how that they need. It's, it's always the best thing to dive in, as fearlessly as possible. Uh, people are around you who know who can help you. Uh, just just don't let anything keep you from, from acting on uh, what you want to do.
0: Great, great, great words to, to end it on. Uh, so that, that was Todd Mitchell. Check out Code By Play. Check out Inside Video Game Creation, everyone. It's on Amazon, I guess, anywhere else where they can get the book or places you want them to check out, maybe your Twitter or
1: yeah, Amazon is the main one for the book because that's who I published through. Uh, if you want to connect with me on Twitter, I'm there way too much. And my <laughs> my uh, username is MechaTodzilla with one D and two L's. And uh, I'm always happy to uh, talk shop with people and sort of hear what they're doing as well. Uh, that's that's a, a way to find me. And I love spending my time that way.
0: Cool. Thanks for coming on the
1: show, man. It was really good. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Hey guys, Mark here from Moonlight Game Devs. Just a quick reminder: if you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a like or subscribing, whatever platform you're listening to. It really helps me out a lot. You know, it shows me that you guys like the content. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a great week.